Six World Music. Gary Six World Music. Gary Six World Music. Six World Six World Music. With you as always, it's me, your host, Chris Kovarik. Now this is part two of a uh, deep dive, I call it, into Gigi Allen, the life and times, and of course, the discography of his. Um, so if you didn't listen to that first part, you should probably go back and listen to that first. Uh, but if, you fr- if it's your first time listening, then of course, welcome. Alright, I'm not going to dally too much here, I want to go right back into it. This is part three, Out for Blood, the middle to late years of Gigi. Okay, so after Sandy left, Gigi uh, lives with his old buddy Al again for a while. Um, But as he says in his memoir, he overstays his welcome almost immediately. Uh, (laughs) He's also sniffing panties again of Al's girlfriend and some other people around there. Maybe that had something to do with it. Who knows? (laughs) So then he lives in a boarding house in Manchester. A uh, boarding house is, you know, as cheap as you can get. He eventually meets a young fan, Lisa, who's, sympathet- who's sympathetic of her idol. She knows him from some shows. And uh, she brings food for him. Now, <laughs> at this point, Gigi is basically one small, small step uh, up from a homeless, drunken maniac. He womanizes maniacally during this time, however, Somehow he still looks presentable enough to attract women, according to him. But, I mean, unless... <laughs> I don't know how else he did it unless he was actually homeless during this time. Uh, one woman that he, he met up with at a club, uh, Tammy, that he slept with, uh, showed up unannounced the next day and started stripping in front of him, saying, you know, you know, uh, take me, take me to Haji. <laughs> uh, but he said, no, I gotta, I gotta go, you gotta leave. But she refused. He, he gives her a countdown saying you gotta leave in like five seconds. When she still refuses, he grabs her by the hair and throws her down the stairs. And then throws her clothes out on the street. Yeah. Rough. Now shortly after this, he meets a lesbian junkie named Jean that he really admires. Uh, he says, she was a junkie, a lesbian, and almost a, as obnoxious as Gigi was. In his autobiography, he switches between third person and first person, by the way. Um, Just very annoying and weird. Uh, You know, definitely narcissistic. Okay, so she introduces him to his new friend, heroin and cocaine. Uh, He says in his autobiography that this is something Gigi could begin to lose control over real fast. All he wanted to do was spike up, puke, never stop. Yeah. So Gigi in 84, uh, being completely unfettered and wallowing in his own self-decadence, filth and drugs, um, goes back with his buddies to record a second full-length LP with the Scumfucks. It's called Eat My Fuck. Um, Released on his own label. Uh, Eventually he had to change it to EMF because people wouldn't uh, carry it. (laughs) Now this, in my opinion, this, this record... Uh, is real transcendent, where Gigi goes um, from kind of classic punk to just decadent wall of noise, outsider punk, these new levels of depravity, 
and he sets the stage for gutter punks everywhere afterwards. Um, the, the wall of noise and just uh, unrelatable lyrics, uh, extreme for the sake of extremeness, uh, it's just great. So Gigi calls it the Bible of porno punk. starting to get increasingly messed up, probably from drugs and hard lifestyle stuff. Um, but interesting, definitely a stylistic change a little bit. Uh, and then the song title, It's All Fucking the Dog, is kind of autobiographical. kind of biographical. Okay, so Gigi uh, hasn't played shows for a while, though, at this point. Uh, but he's still going to bars, clubs, and shows. He actually goes to a Ramones show during this time. But he gets, gets kicked out pretty much immediately for his lewd behavior. He's taking drinks from people, uh, bumping into <laughs> bumping into the band. He, he like bumps into Dee Dee and almost makes him stop playing. Uh, oh yeah, and pissing on people, of course. <clears throat> now at this time, he meets this young girl, Lisa, who lets him stay with her. One story from this period uh, <laughs> that he tells about uh, this girl is that she tried LSD for the first time. And to celebrate, Gigi starts waving a knife around her, saying that, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you! Uh, and then he stops and goes, oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And then he would stop for a while, and then bam, goes right back into it, saying, oh, I'm gonna kill you, waving a knife around again. Um, this is really messed up to do to somebody who's hallucinating. Uh, <laughs> now, at this time, he also has abusive relationship after abusive relationship. Um, he's ruining houses, parties, furniture, plates, uh, apartments, you know. Uh, it seems like every, <laughs> every girl he meets that kind of wants to hang out with him, he kind of tortures her and, like, messes with her. Uh, almost compulsively. Like, like, it's all a game. Uh, but then, why even get involved? Why even stay with the girl at, at the place, you know? It's almost like he's reliving trauma. You know, at an early age in the ed trauma. Sorry, this has been CK's psych corner again. <laughs> okay. Now the Jabbers at this time have one final show. They open for GBH, this uh, very big, very good uh, British punk band. Um, and the Abortion Squad. Excellently named Abortion Squad. Um, to get around their band that they had on them, they don't sell alcohol at this, at this show. It's an all-ages show. Uh, so they go on, and Gigi goes into a manic frenzy, screaming, jolting, exposing himself. He grabs a young girl from the crowd and tears her shirt off, exposing her to the crowd. He claws and bites himself like a madman, until he's covered in blood. After only 15 minutes, they walk off the stage, letting their instruments feed back, leaving the crowd wanting more. The band gets positive reviews at this time. Wow. 
The set was filled with danger and high-tension abuse, says Derry, says the Derry newspaper in New Hampshire. Gigi Allen is a primal screamer and a wild man. This Take It magazine in Boston. They try one more gig, but it falls apart into noise and aggression. They're just angry at each other. At this point, the jabbers are done. Now, according to Gigi, the girl whose shirt he ripped off and, and uh, <laughs> threw on stage uh, came up to him after the show, or I think it's the next show, the next, next day, and they ended up becoming close. She started coming over every day to his small place. They started fighting, though, almost immediately, just like all the others. Uh, she, she would have black eyes, and she'd have to lie about it to her parents. But she did eventually get pregnant, and she had to get an abortion. In a swirl of drug-fueled madness, he records more with the scumfucks. He records, I'm gonna rape you, I wanna fuck your brains out, Teacher's Pet, and Devil's Prayer. They recorded in 84, but it's released on his own blood label again in 85. So let's check out Teacher's Pet. So then, disaster strikes. His small place that he was living in burns down, and he uh, would live on the streets. He was completely homeless at this point, and he would eat at soup kitchens for a hot meal. He'd spend any money that he had on drugs and alcohol at this point. Times were very rough for him for a few months there. But he managed in the summer of 85 to record again with the scumfucks and make a 12-song LP of improvised lyrics. Apparently, this whole thing was recorded in one day. The lyrics seemed to reflect uh, some of what was going on around him, and they show a lowering of quality, I would say. Uh, maybe some more honesty from the lyrics. Uh, I would say the scumfucks uh, are all, like, do-it-yourself, self-recorded, like they sound blown out and crazy, but this especially. Gigi even says that he doesn't really like it. He says it, it yeah. He doesn't like it that much. So here's here's you'll never tame me. Say that I'm mental, say that I'm sick. Want to put me away, say that I'm not fit. Call me a pervert, cause I'm always running wild. Say that I'm an animal, an abortion as a child. You'll never tame me for the things that I do. Uh, yeah, he probably really did smell bad at this this point in his life. Um, so Gigi then was ready for more shows, and he was ready to leave everything behind. He didn't really have anything, right? Uh, and at this about this point. Uh, that girl that uh, we mentioned before, Tracy, she tells Gigi that she was pregnant again. And uh, Gigi this time says, Fuck it, I might die soon, so you better have it. 
Uh, he planned a U.S. tour from Ohio all the way to California. The first gig, however, was a disaster, starting with Gigi punching the opening band uh, for the Bloody Messes singer in the face. Uh, however, Gigi discovered a new trademark for his stage act. He started wearing a jock strap only to shows, and he took X-Lax as a joke from, from the singer from Bloody Mess. He kind of dared him to do it or something. So then he, he shits himself on stage, and he kind of goes with it, and he wipes it all over his body and throws it at the crowd. The venue wanted to stop the show, right? He uh, is rolling around on glass, he's covered in blood and shit, and uh, he's throwing it in the crowd. Uh, so the, the bouncers are trying to stop him, but nobody wants to touch him. Because who wants to touch poop? Um... So that's pretty perfect. I can see the allure in Gigi's mind. This solves a lot of problems. Uh, so the venue wanted to stop the show. Yeah, nobody touches him. Um, but of course, the cops come, and at that point, they gotta stop. So in South Carolina, he breaks a chandelier at this, this house party he was at. He uh, pisses in a cup and throws it at people. He tries to sexually assault an audience member's dog. Ugh. Yeah, see, it's just so sad. Um, now in Texas... He got so wasted in attacking people and he uh, doing this new trick of sh throwing shit at people. He did a he was such a maniac that a woman tries to stab him when he was in the crowd, and uh, I guess she she does, but he claims that he uh, hurt himself more. Uh, he was putting cigarettes out on himself. He was biting himself again. He's just covered in blood and wounds. So. <laughs> uh, after this show, he tries to hop on a Greyhound bus uh, to catch a ride to San Francisco for his next gig. But the bus driver refuses, saying, you can't get on the bus. He, he literally came from the show. He's covered in shit and blood. Open wounds. He's trying to get on a bus. Okay, so he ended up sleeping at the station. When he wakes up the next morning, however, he feels miserable. He says he's hallucinating, he's drooling, and he, he has a fever. He's hot and cold at the same time. So, uh, even Gigi is human, so he realizes he should go to a doctor, so he tries to, to wander, he, it's like something like four blocks, and he says it's like torture. He can barely move. And, uh, according to the doctors, he's got blood poisoning. Uh, yeah, so he could've he died right there. He missed the uh, SF show that he was gonna have next, and uh, a couple others. He was uh, slated to play with the Dead Kennedys. So, dough. <laughs> now, this is all in 85. So after this in 86, he has to move back to Manchester. And he meets a homeless guy who would give him his custom tattoos that he has as his trademark for the rest of his life. Um, he gives the, the guy tattoos, and then the guy gives him tattoos. He lays low for a bit in 86, but then he, uh, he always has to have music in his life, so he... He forms another band, and they call themselves the Cedar Street Sluts, and they record five songs. So check this out. This is Sluts in the City.
six also is when Tracy has Gigi Un's baby. Uh, she names him Nico after the Velvet Underground. He predictably <laughs> is a terrible father. He uh, would flick the baby when she would cry. And Tracy and Gigi uh, also started fighting again right away when he came back into the picture for the baby. Um, and this leads to Tracy getting evicted due to noise complaints. Gigi at this point gets really into Satanism as well, probably trying to freak out Tracy and freak out people more. Um, he uh, talks about buying as many black candles as he could. Um, he also decides to go on another tour at this point, a US tour again. Uh, so he plays in Chicago, and Steve Albini's in the, uh, in the crowd from Big Black Fame and, and all the other uh, records he's produced. Steve Albini's awesome. Check out Slint. Um, predictably, the tour is filled with blood, shit, and piss and violence. After the tour, Gigi gets really going off the deep end, and that's really saying something. He uh, becomes unemployed, he f he's fighting with Tracy, and he's, he's so drunk and wasted all the time that he's, he's pissing himself in the bed every night. Um, and also, at this point, he was completely aroused by, by uh, excrement and poop, so Tracy would would leave him so she would go off to work and she'd leave him baggies of her piss and poop so that he could masturbate with it yeah <laughs> now in 87 he got a call out of the blue that there was a gig for him at the cat club in new york city and he was to have an all-star supporting band with sonic youth's guitarist thurston moore and uh, jay from dinosaur jr to support him now this uh <laughs> Now, Gigi's got nothing else going on in his life at this point. So let's let's hear what um, Village Voice's R.J. Smith had to say about it. Okay. Maybe the guy figured, this is my New York show. It's important for me to do the right thing. Make them think I saw something. After all, Alan's played across the country doing assaultive things for years now. And this evening, also, fit into a lattice of showbiz gestures. It, too, was entertainment. Except that, Monday anyway, we were watching a guy who, at least one night, didn't care if he died. Maybe he wanted to. And didn't mind hitting others with bottles, shit, or any, anything else on the way out. Before the show, according to the booker, Alan pulled a knife on a woman backstage and tore her jacket. There was no pacing. Um, no role-playing, like Karen Finley. Nothing like uh, the beat or the blare of Iggy. That meant we were all going over the edge together. Not even Sid singing my way. Alan was alone, like a guy biting the, the chicken's head. Unlike watching Buddhist monks set themselves on fire in protest, or the gore girls, or even an autopsy, Alan's uh, were gestures with no ripple. The club, the band, the audience, everyone exploited this guy. By watching, by not leaving, and maybe by writing about him, I know that I'm exploiting him too. I hope I haven't made you wish you were there. <laughs> All right. Uh, actually, no. Let me let me read a little bit more. It's good stuff. So perhaps you've seen a terrible car crash. Lots of people left the club, but a wreck draws a rapt audience, and those who stayed were transfixed. During a song called "I Want to Rape Your Cunt," he tried to fuck a female friend in the broken glass. They ended up wrestling in slow motion. A woman ran bleeding to the restroom, hit with a microphone stand. Alan's female friend uh, went from the from table to table, swinging the remains of uh, every bottle or glass she could get her hands on. 
and she was plucking uh, change from a row of uh, like she was plucking change uh, from a row of payphones. <laughs> I felt like throwing up then. Writing about this is not helping. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> uh, that guy. Um, yeah, so that's that's R.J. Smith again from the Village Voice. He uh, he later uh, goes on to kind of advocate for Gigi actually, because he he kind of gets that it's it is freedom of expression, but it's also horrible. It can be both. So, also during this time, this uh, this is like rage mode for Gigi. By the way, Gigi almost gets arrested for rape due to messing around with a 16-year-old girl. Uh, but when the shop cops show up, however, uh, she says that it's her husband. Um, I will say, his um, obsession with underage girls is not cool at all. Uh, yeah, so... Nope. <laughs> uh, that year he also calls every, uh, everyone he knows, he calls them on the phone, and tells them that he's going to kill them. Uh, and also he, he does a record for him where he's assaulting two women in two days, attacking them, uh, trying to rape them, uh, horrible stuff. He pals around with the guys from Genocide during this time, too. He, he plays a show or two with them, and Gigi sprays enema fluid in the crowd and gets hit with a lead pipe from someone, uh, who didn't appreciate that, hits him in the face, knocking, knocking his teeth out. So he's starting to look real... Haggard at this point. Uh, he also gets a three-album deal, though. Uh, the biggest deal that he's had yet. And he gets a five-year contract with uh, Homestead Records. He moves to New York City at this time with his old buddy uh, Emily XYZ. And he records the with the Holy Men. He calls the, uh, the album You Give Love a Bad Name. This song in particular is a Charles Manson cover. Uh, which is interesting because he starts getting really into serial killers. Let's talk about that after we check out this song. Oh, garbage dump! Oh, garbage dump! Why are you called a garbage dump? Garbage dump! Oh, garbage dump! That sums it up in one Probably around this time, he becomes fascinated with serial killers. Um, he writes and visits um, John Wayne Gacy, the infamous child killer and rapist at death row. John Wayne Gacy had this to say about Gigi. <laughs> that Gigi, man, great kid, like a brother. But man, if he doesn't stink like the worst pissy-ass wino I've ever met in my life. <laughs> uh, later, John Wayne Gacy would paint a portrait of Gigi as well. Kind of sweet, right? Um, they become a lot bigger pen pals when, when Gigi's in prison as well, when he has a lot of time on his hands. Now, by this time, his brother Merle was divorced, and he was a coke dealer, and he's looking for something to get into. I think, um, he, he was very jealous that Gigi had the life that he kind of wanted. He wanted this, this rock, rock-style life, but he was just working and being pretty normal, other than the, the coke dealing part. <laughs> now, Gigi forms 
the AIDS Brigade with him and Merle. Um, so check this out. This is another Stone Cold GG classic. This is Expose Yourself to Kids. hopefully ever so um now at this point i should say that he completely breaks from tracy and the baby uh and he goes dark for a year there's no shows really in 88 for him there's no records just lots of drinking uh but then he gets contacted by the bulge band and they record freaks uh f (laughs) word (laughs) drunks and junkies um so this marks an almost like thrash metal turn, uh, these guys, the, the bulges, the backing band. And he, he does some spoken word stuff also in shows. It's interesting. So let's, let's check this out. This is Legalize Murder. starting to look probably a lot more haggard. Uh, the cops were constantly harassing him and uh, in New Hampshire, and they're pushing him, pushing him basically to move out. So he moves to Boston with Merle. Tracy attempts suicide at this point, uh, prompting him to move back briefly for a little bit, but uh, when he gets summoned to court during this time, uh, he literally has to flee the state <laughs> or face the charges. So he, uh, instead of going back with Merle in Boston, he goes to New York City for a gig, and he announces his plans to commit suicide on stage at a Halloween show in 1990. He records the suicide sessions also at this time, so suicide is definitely on his mind. Unfortunately, the date that he sets for his suicide would conflict with another major life event for him. And I'll tell you about that after the break. First, let's check out a little bit from the suicide sessions. This is Dagger Dagger 
Alright, happy 4th of July, patriots! I'm here with an amazing offer from America's most loyal creature, Gary. So what are you using for fireworks this year, guys? Using the Crispy Tickler? Yeah, that's pretty good. The Benedict Arnold? Yeah, that might set off some fire... Uh, some uh, car alarms. The Manifest Destiny? Might turn a few heads. The Native Holocaust? Yeah, I guess some uh, some people might be impressed by that. Well, guess what? That's amateur stuff. Gary has formed the perfect firework in his lab to show his love of this great, great nation. Of course, I'm talking about the enriched uranium bald eagle. But you could use it whenever you want. You know, there's really no wrong way to use it. I find it best to use you know, at the end of the day, when you are ready to go to sleep after a long, hard day of 4th of July partying. Gary's got you set. All you gotta do, press the little button on the top of the box of the Enriched Uranium Bald Eagle. You will hear the lovely klaxon of sirens um, blaring through the air to the backdrop of this great nation's national anthem. It sounds a little like this. Warning. Nuclear launch imminent. If you don't stop making all this goddamn racket, you're gonna kill us all. In 30, 29, 28. <laughs> yeah, it works like a charm, guys. Now, if you really want to get fancy, I suppose, you could set it off. Um, you could follow with that thread, I suppose. Um, but I will say, some of the more cranky nations might have a problem with it. You might end up in the news and all that. But, I mean, honestly, at that point, you've already done it, so it's kind of arguing over spilt milk, you know? <laughs> so show your great love of this nation this year by destroying a huge chunk of it, or threatening to, at least. God bless America. If this sounds interesting to you, then all you gotta do is write to Gary at 950 Dixie Park Drive, Cookville, Kentucky, and he'll send you your very own enriched uranium bald eagle today. All right, patriots, have a good, safe, and fun 4th of July. All right, part four. Ready to move to the next battle zone. Well, at this point, the law finally catches up with Gigi. In 89, he's arrested and charged with the assault of uh, a female acquaintance in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So he's charged with, um, I, uh, it's like assault leading up to not including murder. So it's not murder, but it's like felonious assault. So it's bad. So he, ad he admitted to cutting, burning, and drinking her blood, but also claimed that it was consensual. Due to inconsistencies with her statement, um, his time was reduced, but he was still in prison from 1989 to 91. <laughs> so... Dole, he can't commit suicide if he's in prison. Well, actually, he probably could, but I, I don't think he actually wanted to. Um, so while he's in prison, though, he, he really takes some time to think. And he writes his manifesto called the Gigion Manifesto. He um, gets a lot of um, psych treatment, but he says that he tries to resist it and ignore it. <laughs> Uh, good. So, a psych eval actually says that he's diagnosed with mixed personality disorder, with narcissistic, borderline, and masochistic features. 
yeah, yeah, probably. I think that um, now that, that we have a different DSM, different diagnostic service manual, I think he would be diagnosed with something different. I don't, I don't know if I buy the mixed personality disorder. Although he is narcissistic, does have masochistic features. We'll talk more later, though, about that. So, after his release, he goes on this frantic uh, phase of activity. He uh, goes straight on tour, basically, and skips his parole. <laughs> he talks to his parole officer and goes, yeah, 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 and then he, boom, he goes and never meets him again. <laughs> he also um, agrees to be filmed for this documentary. Um, it's called Hated, G.G. Allen and the Murder Junkies. He, um, the, uh, the documentary is actually done by the same dude who's later going to do The Hangover, so the guy, uh, Todd Phillips. Pretty funny. <laughs> Now, the reason it's called Gigi and the Murder Junkies is because he is now recording with these guys called the Murder Junkies. And during this time, he's also palling around with the uh, anti-scene. Um, now, this, uh, this album contains uh, spoken word stuff and songs. So it's ten spoken word parts and ten songs. Um, also, I want to say that in this uh, documentary... I think this one, the documentary is really good because it, it shows you kind of a glimpse of 90s Gigi, and it interviews a lot of people like around him, so it shows you that what, what Gigi says and what other people say are uh, sometimes different. <laughs> now in the documentary he also addresses the suicide thing by saying that he doesn't since people want him to commit suicide, like, newspapers start saying, oh, Gigi on to commit suicide, or, oh, the date passed. Gigi on doesn't commit suicide. Uh, the way that he addresses it, he says, oh, if people want it so much, then I'm not gonna give you it. I'm not gonna give you the satisfaction. Okay. <laughs> now, here's, um, one song from this era called Murder for the Mission. <laughs> Fucking bloody onslaught. <laughs> so, he also um, gets into country music at this time. I guess he'd been a fan for a while, and he'd been kind of jamming out some stuff. Uh, but he starts recording some of it. So he's influenced by Hank Williams Jr., you know, especially. He sees him as a kindred spirit. Uh, he would release uh, The Troubled Troubadour, I think in 93, something like that. Um, and he described this style of country as outlaw scumfuck. Let's check out one song. This song is just very sweet. This is Carmelita. It's actually a cover. I am Maria, static on 
also during this time, in, uh, this is, we're at 1992, um, and a little bit in 93, he makes TV appearances on Geraldo, Jerry Springer, and the Jane Whitney Show. Now, he talks about his passion for music and uh, the extreme hatred he has for authority, and his uh, passion for creative expression. Uh, so why? Why did he do this during this time? I think, I think prison kind of showed him that he has uh, a purpose, that he has a mission, and it's interesting. Okay, let's, let me show you a little bit of this clip from uh, his Jerry Springer, his famous appearance on Jerry Springer, which I, again, I remember people talking about this when I was a little wee lad. Gigi, describe first, if you would, what happens at your concerts? Well, first of all, rock and roll music to me it's always been about real re rebellion and nonconformity. And my mission is to put danger back into rock and roll, something that's been missing for a real long time. And I use my rock and roll as a weapon against society, the government, and the industry itself, who is trying to confine this type of music. And they're trying to preach to you. Rock and roll is not about what you look like, who you hang out with, how much money you make, what kind of car you drive. Rock and roll is the fury from within you. Rock and roll is revenge. Rock and roll is your enemy, and I'm your enemy. And what do you do at your concerts? I do whatever it takes. If somebody's in my way, I'll take them out. You know, they're, they're, they're there, they're my enemy. I don't look at them, they're not my friends. Okay, okay. Whoever's well, left at the end, then maybe I'll take them on as allies, because they were strong enough to, to be there. Okay, but the audience is sitting out here, and you're up on stage. What do you do on stage that gets I might go out and kick somebody in the head. I might grab a girl and force her to uh, perform oral sex with me. I've had sex on stage with men, women, and animals, and everything in between. There are, see, the thing of it is, in rock and roll, there can be no limits or no laws, because when you start drawing laws and limits, then you might as well not even call it rock and roll anymore. Well, you might as well call sell it, out to the oh, corporate well, government it like it's already roll. done. It's not rock and roll. There's nothing it to do with rock, rock and roll. roll. If you, Isn't it true that you're just going on stage? No, that's your opinion. You're, you're part of the society that I despise. You're part of the people that say, we should listen to this, we should watch MTV, we should, we should be force-fed. Parents in this country, are tell they're keeping their kids, they're sheltering their kids, they're censoring their kids, telling their kids to stay away from what's really going on in the real world. Those are the very people who are getting raped and killed because they don't know how to handle tragedy because they're never put in front of a tragic situation. And we when they come to my show, I'm going to give them the hard lesson of life. If you get raped at my show, you're probably better off for it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he doesn't necessarily sound crazy here. He's not out of control here. He sounds lucid. He sounds composed. He, he sounds like he thought about what he was going to say. I think he's a guy on a mission with a statement. So when I watch this, I think, is this like a, was it all an act? Or maybe he's just a very passionate guy. But it's interesting. Um, interesting to be sure. So now... Check this out too. It's a little later in the. Uh, in the Let me also tell you another thing. What people are always coming to my shows and complaining about because I throw body fluids at the audience. So let me tell you, how many Christians are in this audience? How many people no. go to church on Sunday? You're the biggest hypocrites that I ever seen because you go to church on Sunday and you kneel at an altar and you worship a false god. The real god's up here. And let me tell you one thing. When they come to my show, okay. Dirk, you eat the body okay. of your Christ, okay. they're going to eat the body okay. of GGL. At your, concerts, at your concerts, you can do what you want, but you don't call our guests, okay? You just don't do that.
What's interesting to me is that Gigi <laughs> doesn't, like, punch him in the face or something um, when Jerry's calling him out. He just kind of sits there and takes it. He goes, yeah. He's thinking about what he's going to do next. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. He, it just shows he's not completely out of control. Now, this is a later interview um, on the Jane Whitney show, I guess. So I feel like maybe he didn't come across exactly how he wanted on, on Jerry Springer, I think. So check this out. This, this is, I think, getting to his real point here. And I am because these kids, I get letters from all over the world. People worship me. They come to my shows. I'm going to rape the girls. I might rape the guys. I might have sex. I'm, I want it all. I want it all, and I'm going to have it all. Okay, let me ask Because I am everything. All right, yeah. You, uh, you go... This is when people start saying, you know, is he going to become a cult leader or something? In 93, that, that's when that interview is from. In, in 1993, Gigi is on tour again, and he's uh, briefly arrested again, actually, in Texas. Uh, because he has an out, outstanding warrant for his arrest. There is uh, multiple states, actually, that have outstanding warrants for him at this point. But the tour goes on. Uh, and with the constant threats of suicide since 1989, um, it seems that Gigi was both on top of the world and at the edge of a cliff. He, he did a show in New York City shortly after attending the premiere of his documentary Hated, where he was riding on the, riding on the streets basically after a show, and his fans, uh, him and his fans were evading the police while, while he was completely naked. He was, you know... He partied in celebration in the nude, covered in blood, shit, and vomit. And he ends up uh, in the morning at his friend uh, Johnny Puke's house. And at this point, they notice he's not moving. And when they called an ambulance, uh, Gigi On was pronounced dead on the scene. A fitting, pointless, and nonsensical ending to this guy. He was only 36. Okay. Now let's talk about his funeral a little bit. Um... Because pretty much, he outlines what he wants people to do at his funeral in a song called When I Die. He says, he, basically people uh, put needles and Jack Daniels on his open casket. People spit and piss on his body. Um, it becomes somewhat of a little mellow party. His grave also would be the site of much defacement um, until his mother uh, removed the tombstone to stop people from doing that. But, you know... It's what Gigi would have wanted. Um, but I do have a little sympathy for Arlita, especially in the latest documentary, uh, the 2017 one called The Allens. Uh, she seems pretty, uh, pretty sad that he's not around anymore. When I die, put that bottle in my hand. All these years on earth.
right, so let's do some final analysis here. Final thoughts about Gigi. Was he a hero, an idiot, a rapist, an animal, a liar, or a great artist and a great performer? Well, I think he was all of these things. Um, and I think that kind of like Thanos, he was inevitable. <laughs> if it wasn't him, it would have been somebody else doing this, this uh, thing. Because this is like the basic premise of rock and punk, you know, that bravado, that attitude, that performance aspect of it. Like, that's, <laughs> that's why in the 80s there was hair metal and stuff happening. Uh, they're taking this, this idea and turning it into a performance, you know, with, with um, MTV and and uh, music videos and Gigi's like the other side of this coin kind of like kind of like what happened in the 90s with alternative he kind of immediately saw like like oh, all these people are fake doing these videos uh, that's an act that's a performance I think he he saw himself as like the the ultimate true performer and you know the, the pure rock idea um and so this this idea of performance being consummate that the his entire life is a performance um it's kind of like Shakespeare right saying that you know everybody has a role in life the the world is a stage you know uh <laughs> now interestingly in a, in hated the the documentary from the 90s uh one of his fans makes an interesting point he says that Gigi could have been a cult leader at the end um, and you know, he could have done serious damage with these guys. It could have been like Oklahoma City. It could have been Timothy McVeigh, you know? Uh, but I think Gigi didn't really actually want that. Like, he wasn't that interested in it. It's too much work anyway. Um, he simply wanted to live out this rock lifestyle. This, uh, this fantasy that he's in, or this nightmare, right? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, doesn't everybody kind of kind of live a um live the life that they want and they build kind of in a personality out of that in a way right most people live in the boundaries of society and uh they're encouraged to do so right everywhere you're encouraged to do that uh and not that i'm knocking it i'm uh <laughs> a history teacher i mean like i get it um and i'm, I'm a part of it gg would think i'm a total sellout gg would think everybody's a sellout <laughs> Um, but, but everybody who went to a Gigi Allen show remembers it today. Um, and I think that, um, he, he marks an important bookend to punk rock. You know, he's saying this is, this is the logical conclusion. This is the end. Uh, this is the end. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he's an important, important, uh, message. Um, <clears throat> I do think, though, you know, he, uh, he found this kind of perfect personality for himself, his, his ideal, but I think that he also gets lost in the sauce at times. He, he's doing drugs basically his whole life, so he kind of, uh, drinks his own Kool-Aid <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> um... So, I don't know. I could see him being a cult leader, a serial killer uh, later in life, only if only if it got him more fans, and only if it fit in with this punk rock persona that he made for himself. Um, 
But what's interesting, though, about him is that he could be lucid and polite, even, right? Um, and he certainly wasn't out of his mind when he did things like uh, write a write notes to his mom, t- telling her how much that he loves her and stuff, and how much he appreciates her. Uh, Arlita has uh, one of these on, on her wall, and a, and a plaque. And, you know, she says that this was, you know, the real Gigi. This was the real Kevin. <laughs> but, you know, he's a victim uh, as well as a victimizer, as is all uh, most of the time the case. All right. CK site corner. corner. <laughs> we already got into it a little bit. But uh, I do want to say, like, he's just such an interesting uh, psychological case, you know. <laughs> and I, I will say, I am not a professional, so uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> but Arlita says and is convinced that he had multiple personalities. Um, that there's the Kevin side and the Gigi side. And he let the, uh, let the Gigi side win. Um, but something to keep in mind, and why I don't think he had this, is that to have um, disasso- disassociative identity disorder, um, you have to have distinct personalities that don't mix and that aren't aware of each other, Right? And so I don't think that that's the case. I think that uh, Gigi can be can be nice and and uh, articulate at times, like on the Jerry Springer show at, at times. Uh, and I think the the Kevin, if there is another persona, uh, acts you know a lot the same as Gigi. So they're not distinct to me. Now my best guess, if I had to guess, I would say he's got. Some extreme version of a conduct disorder. Uh, sounds a little antisocial, antisocial disorder. Narcissism, he's got that. He's definitely got drug abuse the whole time. Um, sexual deviancy, he's got the, the you know, a- attraction to, <laughs> to poop and pee and, and uh, cutting and, and, and injuring himself. He's got all that. Um, and also, of course, drug abuse. Yeah. But you know, that that conduct thing, that hatred of authority, that antisocial stuff, that is consistent throughout his life. So I definitely think that's his main bag. Um, but this is complicated, of course, by drug abuse and by, you know, people around him kind of pushing him and egging him on. A big part of what you need to have a disorder is that it um, negatively affects your life, or you're hurting yourself or others. Um, and definitely he hurts himself and others, but he's kind of pushed by his peers. Everybody uh, loves him for this. Uh, and, you know, maybe it is all an act. Maybe it is all just per- performance. Then it's not anything. Then it's just uh, performance, yeah. But, um, <laughs> on the Jerry Springer show, one of his um, detractors had an interesting point saying, you know, you can't call everything a performance. Um, you can't, you know, sing a song and rob a bank, and then when you get thrown in jail, say, well, I was singing a song. It was a performance. Part of the performance was robbing the bank, right? <laughs> so there's that. But then there's also, you know, think of like all good art pushes boundaries. Right, the art that's going on now, you would get killed for in uh, the 1700s or 1800s, or you know further back, definitely. Um, 
you know, before art was defined as portraits, <laughs> you know, portraits of people. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, too. I think that um, he's blurring that line on purpose. That only, uh, that only strengthens his resolve that he's pushing boundaries. That's a part of it from day one. <laughs> okay. Now, one thing for sure, though, now we're leaving the site corner. One thing for sure, though, is that he is from an alternate dimension. Um, he is this pure id of music performance. Uh, and he is a free thinker and a believer in the freedom of expression, if nothing else. I'll leave you with a few thoughts, uh, some final thoughts. Um, number one is a quote from Marquis de Sade, philosopher and named after uh, sadism. Well, sadism was named after him, which of course is getting, getting pleasure from pain. He said that um, social order at the expense of liberty is hardly a bargain. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I think Gigi would agree with that for sure. This Marquis de Sade is an early Gigi Allen, I think. <laughs> now also, uh, I'll leave you with this, this quote by another great philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre. He says, we are condemned to be free. Um, what he means by that is that because everybody has to find their own truth um, and has to be honest with themselves, um, it means that every choice that we make is an important one. And Gigi, I think, found his truth, um, <laughs> but it was an ugly truth. It was, a, it was horrible. <laughs> he is a grade-A asshole, absolutely. Um, but, you know, because he found his voice, I respect that. However, what I don't respect about him and his choices are the treatment of women and children. To me, I just can't ever get behind that, even if it is a performance. I even get weirded out in like seeing kids in uh, in some movies where it's like, you're traumatizing this, this kid. <laughs> That's not cool. Oh, and the bestiality thing. Oh my god, horrible. Okay, now I'll leave you with one final thing, which is my band, Gorgie Corgi, at the time we were called Suicide Pact, and our cover of Bite It You Scum. This, of course, is my favorite song by Gigi Allen. I want to also give a chance to uh, shout out my, my references, where I get all this information. There's the Madman of Manchester.blogspot.com is a great resource for those early recordings by Gigi. There's um, the unofficial autobiography of Gigi Allen, which was written in prison in 77 pages of glory. It's on archive.org. Hated the Gigi Allen Murder Junkies film from 93, Jerry Springer Pants, and the Allen's documentary from 2017. All great stuff.
Fight it! 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 Fight it!